Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in Wednesday edition, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us wherever you may be around the country or around the world. We are ready to have three hours of fun with all of you. Lots of different stories to dive into today. Among them, inflation ticks back up to 3.7%. We need to have a big discussion about exactly what's going on there and why so many of you out in our listening audience, including me and Buck, both feel like your dollar is getting stretched in a way you would not have anticipated. Mexico, my good friend south of the border, in their Congress, Buck is shaking about this, going right, hit him right in the solar plexus. Mexico brought in two different alien uh, carcasses. I'm not even making this up. If you haven't seen this video, <laughs> I, I told you aliens are real. Buck doesn't believe it because he hates all fun things. Mexico uh, just boom right there, putting the money on the, the pesos on the table, so to speak. They brought in this is real. You haven't seen this video. They brought in two aliens, um, in in uh, the I guess like uh, uh, sarcophaguses. I'm not even sure exactly what these are. These are like alien skeletons in some way. I'm just gonna say. Truth's out there. I'm on the right side here. Uh, this is also a weird story. Um, JFK, one of the Secret Service agents that was running directly behind uh, that uh, uh, that convertible in Dealey Plaza back in 1963, now says that he was wrong in some of the details that have come out. Uh, really kind of a fascinating story. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit. Those are fun stories and interesting stories. But we begin, Buck, with the Washington Post, esteemed newspaper of record in Washington, D.C. And I understand if some of you out there are uh, uh, of the opinion that the Washington Post is complete trash. You don't pay a lot of attention to it. I subscribe to the Washington Post. Both Buck and I have lived in the Washington Post, um, and it is widely read uh, in a major way by everyone in the Washington, D.C. area. 
And so this is a big deal. This opinion piece came down yesterday evening. It's in today's print edition of the Washington Post. And the headline is this. It is by David Ignatius, who is basically, I would say, the, 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 would you agree with this buck? Like probably the foremost columnist in the Washington Post at this point in terms of influence in the political sphere. If you're talking about Democrat regime media inside the Beltway, Ignatius would be the first name that comes to mind. It's worth reminding everybody he's the one who published the Kizilyak, um, General Flynn conversation based on classified. Someone got a classified transcript and gave it to Ignatius to take down the incoming national security advisor of the Trump administration. Just a bit of history there, but keep going, Clay. The headline is this. President Biden should not run again in 2024. This is an opinion piece. And uh, here's what he says. What I admire most about President Biden is that in a polarized nation, he's governed from the center out as he promised in his victory speech. I'm reading this because it's important to recognize this is written in many ways for Biden himself. Uh, and, and that's an important part about this column. With an unexpectedly steady hand, he passed some of the most important domestic legislation in recent decades. In foreign policy, he managed the delicate balance of helping Ukraine fight Russia without getting America itself into a war. In sum, he has been a successful and effective president. Okay, so he's building up Biden as, oh, you've done an incredible job. I'm reading directly from the column. And then he immediately pivots. But I don't think Biden and Vice President Harris should run for re-election. It's painful to say that, given my admiration for much of what they have accomplished. But if he and Harris campaign together in 2024, I think Biden risks undoing his greatest achievement, which was stopping Trump. A couple of other things uh, in this column. Biden would carry two big liabilities into a 2024 campaign. He would be 82, and according to a recent Associated Press poll, 77% of the public, including 69% of Democrats, think he's too old. Uh, Biden's age isn't just a Fox News trope. It's been the subject of dinner table conversations across America this summer. Ignatius went on Morning Joe and said, which is also the morning CNN mornings, no one watches. So Morning Joe is regime media for the Democrats. Here's what he said. Play three. This combination of Joe Biden at the top of the ticket um, and the polls show people feel uneasy about somebody uh, who's 82 serving another four-year term. Um, that The combination of that and people's uneasiness is reflected in polls uh, about about the vice president succeeding him. Time is running out. In another month, this, this it's going to be too late to have this conversation. So uh, I, I thought b- before it was locked in stone, it was worth at least raising. So this is why, Clay, I think it's so important. What did we talk about even a couple of days ago? Or all week, actually, we've mentioned on the view they're still doing the. I mean, Biden's doing a yeah. great job, right? As they kind of look around to see to read the room and do other Democrat power centers agree with them. A month is not a lot of time. That's yeah. even tighter. We've been saying December. Uh, I think this is the last gasp of the replace Biden media until they're just going to go all in. I, I don't see another way. Do you think? Do you think this could crack the shell? 
I think this is a big deal. Let me hit you with a couple of more lines here that I thought were interesting from this column. Biden has never been good at saying no. He should have resisted the choice of Harris, who was a colleague of his beloved son, Beau. Uh, he should have stopped his son, Hunter, from joining the board of a Ukrainian gas company and representing companies in China. And he certainly should have resisted Hunter's attempts to impress clients by getting dad on the phone. Every one of these buck lands like a body blow because the Washington Post has in many ways chosen not to cover a lot of this. So if you are in the Washington establishment and you're reading this column, it's almost like there's a lot of news being broken here. Um, and uh, it, it is interesting. Again, he says time's running out. In a month or so, this decision will be cast in stone. It'll be too late for other Democrats, including Harris, to test, the, test themselves in primaries. Here's what I want to hit here, Buck. It's not just Biden shouldn't run. It's that this reads to me like Ignatius is afraid that Biden might step down and Harris will have to be the nominee. Because when he's saying there's only a month, basically, to make this choice, he's also, by default, the conversation that we had uh, yesterday is so interesting here, and maybe it was last week as well, when we said, does Biden like Harris? Because if he did, the precedent would be, hey, in like yeah. June or July of next year, Biden says, hey, it's time to pass the baton to the next generation. Kamala Harris is the choice. I'm going to get out of the way. She'll take it from here. Because then it's his choice, right? So Ignatius's column is not going to matter at all. It's not going to change anything unless you see everybody else with influence inside the Beltway in D.C. start to adopt the same tune, and yeah. they got to do it. In the next few weeks, everyone who is looking at how elections work in this country is saying you're running out of time here to make a change. So unless Ignatius creates a cascading effect, his column is uh, a last whimper of the I don't really think Joe Biden can get this done chorus. And also, to your point, I don't think Kamala, meaning from the Ignatius perspective, I don't think Kamala could do it either. We got to think about something else here. I don't know if Ignatius is necessarily somebody you'd look to as a great political strategist. He's really a columnist who does a lot of national security stuff, very deep ties to the national security state, the deep state and all that. Um, I don't know if he really understands the complexity that would be involved in an open primary situation. I mean, you would effectively have to have candidates, Clay, who have a couple of months to run. The only and- reason, Buck, and this is key, this is not just about torpedoing Biden. It's really about making sure that Kamala isn't the choice. Because there's a twofold thing here. The other thing I would say here, Buck, is important is, and you know this, and but I bet a lot of people don't think about this, this column isn't decided on 24 hours before it's published. The entire Washington Post editorial board would be sitting around, Buck, saying, is now the time to drop the Biden shouldn't run column? This isn't one of those things, you know, sometimes like Aaron Rodgers tears his uh, Achilles tendon and immediately everybody's like, well, we need more grass fields. Like you're not reacting immediately to an incident and pinning a column. This is planned. I bet they've been talking about this for months and they decided the time to drop it is right after Labor Day, right in the mix of September based on the timing. Well, but this then goes to. Do you see, you will see it, if all of a sudden, I, I, I'm calling this right now, if 
in the next week or so on The View there, you know, guys, we have all these great candidates who all these great possibilities or, hey, let's have Gavin Newsom or, you know, CNN. And all. if, if the machinery starts to all move as one away from Biden, you'll know. If it doesn't happen, there's no, there's no option. And, and he even understands that it's got to happen here quickly or there's yep. no option. I would give someone now betting odds 10 to one on this. Okay. Joe Biden's going to be the nominee because it's so difficult to pull off something else. The part of it that you're pointing to, I think that's so interesting is he's even more worried about Kamala because yes. under a normal situation, it would be. Well, you know, maybe, you know, if something happens, you know, to Joe's health or whatever, you got a vice president who will just step in. Um, the other part of this that you can see in the, in the column, Clay, is what's his solution? He doesn't, he doesn't. Yeah. Well, but, but what, you know, and he went on Morning Joe. I actually watched the clip, not the whole show. I, I saw the clip and they said, uh, Mika was like, well, who should be the one who's ready to step forward? And, He's like, I don't know. The democratic process figure that figures that out. Yeah. Eh, wrong. You got to actually know who's going to step in here. The people who have been writing in and calling us all or calling on, uh, on the show and, and writing in for a year now saying, guys, there's a plan to make it, you know, Michelle Obama to come back and run. I don't, that's not going to happen, but that at least is a plan that you could try to execute on, right? That at least yeah. would Ignatius is basically just saying, Guys, it can't be Biden or Kamala, but I don't know what we're going to do here, which is not going to work. The timing on this is also interesting, Buck, because there's an editorial from RFK Jr. today calling out the lack of fairness in the Democrat primary system in the Wall Street Journal. So it makes me think that there's also the possibility. I want all of you to put this in the back of your head. I think RFK Jr. could run third party or he could officially announce that he's leaving the Democrat Party because his entire thrust of his editorial buck is the Democrat process is broken inside of the primary system. And so democracy is not being served. Who who does he help if he runs third? He will not win. I will whatever bets on wants to place. He's not going to win a third party candidacy. So then it just turns into. Who does he think he's helping or hurting in that process? Well, I would just point this out, and some people may think it's crazy. What if he decided to leave the Democrat Party and Trump picked him as his VP? Well, that be, I mean, that's interesting, right? I mean, if you are a disruptor and you are Trump, and RFK Jr. is going to come over to your side and say, Democrats are not allowing the full Democrat process, but Republicans will, and so I'm trying to unite the country, and this is a unity ticket, to me, that I mean, I understand. Like, there's I'm pretty Christian sure he Noah. said he doesn't like Trump and he disagrees with him on a lot of things. Am I missing I something? I, I mean, how many people did Trump put in his cabinet who said they didn't like Trump and they disagreed with him on a lot of things? No, actually, if you said you disliked Trump and disagreed with him, you were more likely to be in Trump's cabinet. <laughs> that's just a fact, everybody. But I think it's actually a testament to Trump that he will uh, accept people changing their opinions, right? There are well, so many people, people out there. Yeah, people out there get this wrong all the time. They're like, you know, they're like, you're insufficiently supportive of Trump. You'll never. No, there's always room on the Trump train, yes. according to Trump. If you yeah. want to get on the Trump train and you want to be pushing in the right direction, hop on in. He's fine. I with give it. I give Trump credit because there's a lot of politicians out there that hold grudges forever. Trump, even if you said awful things about him in 16 and 20, if you eventually ended up on the Trump train, he's like, Hey, it's a, it's a big, it's a big train. You know, I'll forgive and forget all sorts of things in the past. I'm just putting this out there. The timing of the Biden shouldn't run and RFK Jr. editorials while in two different newspapers, the Washington Post 
and the Wall Street Journal, suggests that there may be some blockbuster drama still out there to be had before we end up potentially with a rematch in 2024. Team at MyPillow manufactures products that make your home so much more comfortable and cozy. Sheets, pillows, slippers, mattress covers, pet beds, you name it, they've got it. Lately, they've got a great deal. Six-piece towel set, two bath, two hand, and two washcloths, typically retailing for $79.98. Right now, price is cut in half to just $39.99 when you enter the promo code Clay and Buck. Towels made with USA cotton, extremely absorbent, same time providing the soft feel you want in a towel. Remember, you need to use our names as the promo code Clay and Buck to take advantage of the 50% in savings. Last time my pillow put these towels on sale, they sold out faster than a Taylor Swift concert. That's a good line. Well done. Uh, so get on over to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener special square to get a 50% off deal. MyPillow.com, 800-792-3269. MyPillow.com, code Clay and Buck. Making sense in an insane world. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years, and in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline. So if you know where Drudge is right now or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in, everybody. Second hour of Clay and Buck starts right now. And uh, something I want to talk to you about for a moment here on the Prime Front. 
Now, Clay and I have both been residents of D.C. Clay as an undergrad at GW, which I believe for many years was the single most expensive university in the United States. Had they gave me a scholarship. I think it still is the most expensive school in America, it, it, but yes. Something, it's crazy expensive. It's like more expensive than any other It's like 70K a year, I think. Yeah. Room and board. But. Uh, I was there as a, uh, CIA officer, not, not making 70k a year, never <laughs> mind paying a tuition. Uh, but I was living there working as a CIA analyst. So we both have time on the ground in DC, years in the ground in DC. And one thing I remember, cause I had moved down from New York during the, uh, the, well, first the Giuliani, then the Bloomberg years was people would say to me, well, how is New York in comparison to DC? And I'd say DC is much more dangerous, which was true. D.C. was a much more dangerous city uh, by the numbers. And in the early 90s, during the crack, uh, during the crack epidemic, it was among the most dangerous cities for homicide uh, per capita in the country. Some years, I think they even would argue that for a city of its size, over maybe 250,000 or 500,000, it was actually number one. Well, The Washington Post has uh, has a piece out from this week. Um, a shake in Washington copes with surging violence. And the quote is, this is not normal. And I would actually argue with that quote. It has become normal in D.C., unfortunately. Um, and it, let, let's take a moment to see what's going on here, the situation as it unfolds. There's a guy, Clay, that they quote, who's 53 years old, who avoids going to the gas station at night because he's afraid of being robbed in his own neighborhood. He's actually somebody who was arrested in the 90s for selling crack, but now works with young people to, to prevent them from going into a life of crime. Here's what he says about D.C. Comparing it to the 90s, Ronald Moten. It's worse in some ways, like a wicked spirit is out there. You used to not have to worry about crime unless you were associated with the streets with drug dealing. Now you could just be going down the street, going to the car, and you can be killed. And he says, and they go through all of these stories, including Clay in the most um, affluent, high-income areas of D.C., where random extreme violence breaks out in the middle of the day. Carjackings in broad daylight, uh, people being shot and killed in, those of you who know D.C. know these names, you know, in Adams Morgan, in DuPont Circle, in places where there are multi-million dollar row homes stacked up against each other and people are being shot and killed in broad daylight. And this is something that is happening with frequency. I think homicides, I actually pulled the stats here. Homicides are up, um, let me see, uh, 29%. There we go. And 67% spike in robberies year over year, Clay. A 70% increase in robberies over last year which was a really bad year for robberies in D.C. Stuff's being stolen all over the place. You know what else is interesting in this analysis? D.C. is at a 50-year low in what? Police staffing. This is the Democrat Party totally in charge and once again destroying a place, and it's our nation's capital. And remember, Republicans had to get involved because they passed, the D.C. City Council did, a bill that would have actually lessened the punishments that are being levied against violent criminals, including and, carjackers. That's right. And, uh, and the, and the 
House of uh, the, the the Republicans in the House. Remember, for people out there who don't know, there is basically, and I think this is still accurate, Buck, an oversight committee because Washington D.C. does not have, for instance, a governor. Uh, they have a uh, a one non-voting, I think, member of uh, Congress uh, who is allowed to represent them there. But otherwise, the Congress has authority over the District of Columbia as the nation's capital. And this is why, for those of you, you who have spent any time there for a while, I don't know if it's still the case, but they had taxation without representation on the D.C. license plates. Uh, because they will all have been arguing for years, we deserve to be the 51st state, we deserve senators, all these different things. Okay, so what's going on here? What is happening is this argument, and we did we mention this on the air yesterday, I think we teased it. It's not just D.C., Portland. Buck, Portland is, we have a monster audience listening to us right now in Portland. Portland just had to shut down the flagship Nike store in Portland that has been open since 1984 because theft and looting has become so prevalent that they can no longer keep that store open. 40 years nearly. That store is open. They just had to shut it down. Those are different sides of the country. But Portland is among the bluest of blue places. D.C. is maybe the bluest place in the whole country, right up there with certain parts of San Francisco, which is also falling apart. They had Trump for a long time, Buck, to use as the great Satan, the evil threat, the noxious cloud that was spreading across the country. Without Trump in office, what you're seeing is Democrats left without opposition destroy everything. And they destroy everything in places that otherwise have thrived historically when they had actually some opposition government in place. On law and order, Republicans are the adults in the room. Okay. It's just, just reality. And every major Democrat idea on crime is either, uh, counterproductive, incorrect, or d- flatly destructive. I mean, basically every idea that they have does not work and makes things worse. And, and the ramifications of what we've seen um, for police and law enforcement. Look, this is still, this is a problem in New York City too. It's not the same scale, um, in terms of the increases in homicides and things like that. And, you know, now they play games, right? They'll say, well, you know, New York crime is actually down. Well, it's down from last year. Um, and it was basically the same the year before that, but in that year, it like doubled. I mean, you know, it, it, it yeah, expanded massively, skyrocketed. Right. So, you know, they're playing numbers games here to try to make it seem like it's not as bad as it is. Here is the fundamental challenge that you have. In some places, the Democrats found it politically advantageous, politically convenient to say that cops are the bad guys, to say that dangerous and economically depressed and uh, neighborhoods where there's far too many broken families. It's not it's nothing to look at, nothing to talk about there. The problem are cops. The problem is the law enforcement apparatus, right? That's the real challenge. And that had, first of all, it's a lie. Um, and healthy communities across the country have very good relationships. I just mean this in general, like any, you go to any low crime area of the country and they have a good relationship with law enforcement. Isn't that interesting? Right. They're, they're happy to see, uh, they're happy to see cops. You know, I remember I, I worked with a guy who wrote, um, Blue Blood for the NYPD, which 
wasn't actually what they used for the show, but then there was a lawsuit. But anyway, he wrote a best-selling book called Blue Blood, and there's a scene where he talks about how when he was early on starting his career in patrol, because, you know, back in the day there was there were tensions in some of the communities. He was in a high-crime community. But he said that he would see people walking. He's just a patrolman. He would see people walking in the subway, and he could see that the people walking to the subway to get to their jobs felt a little better seeing him. Yeah. They relaxed a little bit. They were happy to see him. And the the insight that he had in the book was, I showed up every day for those people. The people that, you know, were being arrested for the 50th time and were screaming, you know, oh, police violence and all this stuff, I'm not really showing up because they want me to. They don't want me to show up. I'm showing up for the other 99% of that community that doesn't want any kids getting shot today, that doesn't want any old ladies getting beaten with, you know, hammers and robbed today. And somehow we, well, not somehow, we know how, we lost that, and Democrats have paid no political price for that. We lost it because of what they did, because of this really, this kind of religious cult experience of BLM 2.0 and the, the, the martyrdom of George Floyd, all of this together. And now we see the results, and now we see the end product, and it's an abject disgrace. Yeah. And D.C. is one of the most clear examples of this. Staffing for police are down 50%, and people are afraid to walk their dogs on their block in this in the supposedly nice neighborhoods. And here's what you're going to see, Buck, as you get ready for 2024. They're going to say, well, yeah, there was an increase in crime. They're going to argue and say it was brought on by COVID disruptions. Really, again, the data reflects that crime was actually down a lot until the George Floyd incident. But they're going to say it's stabilized. It's not getting worse. This is why it's very important because it's the same argument they're going to make for inflation, which is up 3.7% according to the most recent uh, numbers. It's up off of historic skyrocketing numbers. And if it's down, it's down a little bit relative to the historic skyrocketing numbers. We saw a 50-year record high increase in the amount of murders. We haven't seen that dial back down. We haven't seen a 50-year decline in murders. So you set a new barometer. Barometer. Let's say that there is normally 20 murders. I think, for instance, Portland was a good example of this. I think Portland, because I wrote about it in my book, Portland went from basically 20 years of around 20 murders a year to suddenly jumping to the neighborhood of 80. Okay, If Portland then comes back down to 75, they say, oh, Portland murders have declined by whatever the percentage decline is from 80-some-odd to 75, let's say. And so this is not that big of a deal anymore. Crime is back under control. No, it's not. It's still quadruple the murder rate that it was before everything came undone associated with George Floyd. And the same thing is true with inflation. Because people don't look at inflation in the context of what has it done in the last month. They look at it in the context of how does it compare to last year? And compared to last year, everything that you buy is up 15 or 20 percent. And so the idea that the Biden administration selling of, well, inflation's only running at 3.7 percent now, which is the number that came out today. One, that's an increase over last month, but that's 3.7 percent on top of the double digit inflation that we have seen over the last year. That number is not getting brought back down, in other words, right? It's embedded now forever. 
And so when you say, oh, well, the murder rate's fallen from 85 to 75, we're getting better. No, no, no. You have to look at it before for the 20-year history where it went from 20 to 75 to 80, for instance, in Portland. The fact that the murder rate comes back a little bit isn't making things better. It's actually just establishing a new barometer of what the normal murder rate is. And there's also, and this is why I thought this article was so interesting, there's a difference in what it actually feels like in some of these cities. Uh, you know, you can have, and for example, in New York City, a vast majority of the uh, violent crime happens in a handful of police precincts and are overwhelmingly in the central and east part of Brooklyn and the South Bronx. In terms of shootings, that's where, that's where you're, you're you know, that's like 70%, 75% of where you're going to get shootings year in and year out or in those areas. Now that's terrible for those areas, but you can focus on greater police resources, doing more, you know, um, more, more cops on the corner, et cetera. What you have in, in the cities now, because the police levels are so low is the crime is just all over the place. Yeah. It's not even localized, which makes it harder to address as a law enforcement issue. And it also means that everyone has this anxiety of it's not like there are safe neighborhoods and, and unsafe neighborhoods. There's just a lot of insecurity and, and lack of safety around, around the whole city. This has been the case in DC for a long time, to be clear, but it's gotten so much worse. And, you know, I, I just, I looked this up. I mean, you have, cause they had a whole, oh, we have too much mass incarceration. And any given day, the DC jail system has about, uh, 1300 men in it. 1300. The, the number of women is negligible, right? It's a few dozen. 1300 men in the DC prison system. If you had 700 more, Four or five hundred more, something like that. You could bring violent crime in the city down seventy or eighty percent just by the numbers, because the violent criminals are committing many violent crimes and they're doing it over and over again. But they're unwilling to take these individuals off the streets. Play that's that's really and now they it's not even clear they can like they can't find them and they can't stop them. And also remember, simultaneous to not prosecuting violent criminals in D.C., which is leading to a skyrocketing crime rate. They're putting people who stood on the steps outside of the Capitol in prison for months, uh, yes. based on being at January 6th. They're throwing the book at everybody associated with January 6th, but if you actually carjack or you steal or you commit a violent crime, they're not actually throwing the book at you at all. They're lowering yeah. those felonies it, to misdemeanors. In the Democrat world, when it comes to political crimes or wrong think or wrong speak, they want, you know, Stalinist secret police tactics. But when it comes to stopping old ladies from being bashed with hammers, hold on a second. Social justice means we don't want to be too harsh here on the on the hammer wielder. You know, we don't, we don't want that to happen. We are going to be in D.C. next month, so that's we'll, right. We'll, we'll be seeing some folks, and uh, we do appreciate that we get a chance to um, talk to people who are in the D.C. area on our new affiliate, one hundred four point seven Freedom. So we're going to spread the truth in that city, which is ninety three percent Democrat, and we appreciate the people who are behind Democrat lines there listening to us day in and day out. For all the smash-and-grab burglaries, all the crimes committed right in front of us, there's many more crimes being committed online with no one around to witness them. These crimes happen every day, and your personal data extremely vulnerable. That's why we recommend LifeLock. Think of it as a security system for your online identity, just like you'd have a security system on your house alerting you to potential threats. important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives 
When you become a member of LifeLock, their systems work 24-7 monitoring billions of online transactions each week. If and when they see something suspicious, they're immediately in touch with you. If you become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. No one can prevent all online uh, identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can help. Join now. Save 25% off your first year with my name, Clay, as the promo code 1-800-LIFELOCK, lifelock.com. Use my name, Clay, for 25% off. Clay, Travis, and Buck Sexton making sense in an insane world. You know, we told you about this uh, gun, temporary gun ban in Albuquerque yesterday. Um, Albuquerque is a city I'd like to get to. Never been, actually. You ever been to Albuquerque? Nice place, yeah. My uh, college roommate is a uh, doctor in Albuquerque. Oh, nice. I, I hear good things. New Mexico was having a moment a few years ago as people were just saying, oh, it's, you know, quality of life and the cities and everything is great. Um, but let's look in the politics uh, of the situation right now. The governor, Lujan Grisham, decided that we were just talking before about D.C. DC violence and crime. The fixation that Democrats have, we, we actually should always bring this in the conversation. They still think it's a function of the guns. Too many people are breaking the windows of cars and stealing stuff. Get the guns off the streets. Too many hardened criminals who have been arrested 50 times and have 20 illegal firearms at home because it's not hard for them to get them and they don't care what the laws are. Get the guns off the streets. Like, this is just, they are, there's like a monomaniacal focus on this. So just get the guns, get the guns. Well, Luhan, and as I was, it's get the criminals off the streets, actually. Enforce the law. People that break that break the law, that hurt people, that prey on their fellow human beings, need to be punished and need to be taken out of society for a period of time, a long period of time. Um, but the governor thinks that if she just tells lawful gun owners you can't conceal or open carry, that's going to make, for 30 days, under a health order, that's going to make people safer. Here is Clay. This was kind of a shock. Over at CNN, one of the anchors at CNN tried to ask the very obvious question of the governor um where exactly is in uh, in to be clear everyone in state or federal constitution right in like the, yeah. the 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 big c constitution like the constitution or the new mexico constitution where do you have the right to just change the law like this here's how that exchange went place do you think you're on solid constitutional ground here well, I'm, we're going to see. I mean, look, I wouldn't do it if I didn't think I had the right. I have the but right. Where is the right? Where is the in right? In the state of New Mexico. Public health, it's a suspension. It's not a ban. The New Mexico Constitution, I looked last night, Article 2, Section 6, says this, quote, No law shall abridge the right of citizens to keep and bear arms for security and defense. No municipality or county shall regulate in any way any incident of the right to keep and bear arms. Are you not in violation of both the U.S. Constitution and your state's Constitution? I don't believe that we are. Clay, this woman is a governor. She is a lawyer. And, you know, congrats that CNN's Poppy Harlow. That's I, you phenomenal know, I, questioning. I mean, that is what that's what actual journalists should do. Right. Look up the New Mexico Constitution. I'm sure she didn't look it up herself, but whoever on her staff is doing the research, more power to them. I, she is, meaning the governor blatantly vile if words have meaning the governor of new mexico is violating the second amendment rights of the people of albuquerque and violating the state constitutional rights of the people of albuquerque all at once 
could not be more clear. And you notice her, her justification for this. And then it goes a little further. Here she's asked, well, what if a Republican governor decided, you know what, health emergency, no abortions in my state. Forget what the legislature says. Forget what the state constitution says. Even if the state constitution says abortion is legal, I'm just going to say no, because I'm the governor. Play seven. Are you overreaching? Let me give you a hypothetical, right? You're a Democratic governor who's doing this. What if a Republican governor of a state declares a health emergency and unilaterally uh, outlaws abortion in that state where the legislature has not done so by statute? Following your logic, would that also be sound? In this situation, honestly, I don't think so. What what law school did this governor graduate from? We need like, to look up where she went to law school. But that's another fabulous question. I want to give credit to Poppy Harlow. Uh, I mean, that is what an actual journalist should do when they have a newsmaker on, right? You are the governor of New Mexico. You have enacted a or attempting to enact a uh, a, a law, uh, even though you isn't passed by your legislature, but you're attempting to basically suspend the right of um of you know gun ownership here's the problem and that's a great hypothetical on abortion flipping the script because you know a democrat governor would never allow that to happen but here's the big story here that cnn seems to be tiptoeing up to we allowed for months if not years basic constitutional rights to be abridged over covid and they used the covid emergency as a rationale to do so you know, Poppy Harlow could easily be asked, these are great questions, and credit to you for asking them now as it pertains to gun rights in New Mexico. Where were you for two years when many people all over this country had their rights abridged and the citation was, we've got a public health emergency because of COVID, therefore there is no existing law that can't be overturned? I mean, people in California... To my knowledge, Buck, unless I'm wrong, still haven't been apologized to for not being able to go to church. Their kids not being while, able to go to school. While cannabis dispensaries, weed stores stayed open. Right. The weed stores stayed open. The churches did not. If you're looking for an epitaph of the failures of Democrat Fauciite rule in 2020, that's a pretty good one. I'll give you a fun, uh, fun. I, I still like shopping here. My neighborhood, we have an ice cream shop. It never shut down for COVID. Never took a day off. Uh, because a lot of people didn't think about this, but you know that like cupcake stores and ice cream shops were all considered to be essential businesses because they served food. Yeah. So in many parts of the country, those establishments were never forced to shut down. To your point, like if a cannabis dispensary is open, but you're in California, and many people out there had their jobs shut down. Uh, I think we had the great question. Again, it's like the media suddenly waking up. We had Meet the Press ask Gavin Newsom, wait a minute, you shut down so many churches, but you allowed Hollywood studios mm-hmm. to be back making movies. How do you rec- how do you reconcile? Do you remember that story? I bet the, you restaurant, the, the restaurant? The restaurant. Yep, yes. Our brains went to the same place. There was a restaurant that had outdoor dining that was compliant that was told because all the, the outdoor dining was that we even forget this. California shut down outdoor yes. dining. Anyone who's wondering, they were able to prove zero cases of outdoor COVID transmission. There's, there's actually no basis to believe that outdoor transmission is even a thing that happens, really. I mean, maybe if someone like sneezes directly into your eyeball, 
Yeah. But they shut down outdoor dining in, in that restaurant, that woman who got very angry, rightfully so, about it. L.A. area. And, and, and in the L.A. area, and right next to her restaurant was a massive, tented, catered eating <laughs> section for a Hollywood production that was going on, which was totally fine. And she's just they, sitting here like, so I go bankrupt, but they get to do this. Why? Politics. They, how? for people out there who forgot about this, it was a perfect distillation of how broken so many of our COVID rules were. This woman, and, and my recollection, Buck, is that she had spent substantial amounts of money to try to create as much outdoor seating as she could to try to comply with the draconian policies put in place by L.A. County. They shut down her restaurant, even though there was a lot of outdoor uh, outdoor seating. The parking lot was tented over literally next door to her restaurant, and they had a full catered meal for the movie that was shooting where you could basically reach out and touch it from her shuttered down restaurant. This was Angela Marsden, owner of the Pineapple Hill Saloon. This is December 2020. Pineapple Hill Saloon and Grill in Sherman Oaks, a neighborhood Clay and I know well. Um, and yeah, she wasn't even sure she'd be able to reopen the business at all after this. She took out a loan and spent $80,000 to build outdoor dining. And then just in a, in a, in a fit of whimsy, your buddy, Gavin Newsom said, sorry, outdoor dining, too dangerous too. I think he then went to French Laundry right after this, too, just to be clear. I think this is right around the French Laundry fiasco. I, I which, think that's true. I do think it would have been an L.A. County rule as opposed to a state law, right? I think it was L.A. County, they, that awful Barbara, whatever her name was, who was like the Barbara Ferrer. Is that oh, her name? Who was who the was, health? Who was the health yeah. czar? And everyone's like, this is the health czar? Yeah. 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 She did not look very healthy. She shut. I, I feel like L.A. County, because Orange County had different rules just south so I feel like the L.A. County rules were very arbitrary. But regardless, the the rule that was in place at that point in time was you could not eat outdoors at this woman's restaurant, but Gavin Newsom was allowing the filming to take place, and L.A. County was as well. So they had a huge catered under-a-tent dinner next door to her that was perfectly permissible. I don't know how more people don't recognize that this was a trial run of totalitarianism in America. I really don't. I don't understand. Zero. And here's I, the thing, Buck. No zero consequences. consequences. We talked about this last week. Montgomery County, which is the county just north of uh, Washington, D.C., the fact that they were requiring kindergartners to wear masks. Another school in Montgomery County is now requiring first graders to wear masks over COVID. These are N95 masks. This is not going away because the consequences here have still not occurred. Nobody was held accountable for getting everything wrong with COVID from the Democrat side. No one. Not one, uh, not one politician lost his or her job over getting COVID wrong. Andrew Cuomo lost his job, but because he was grabbing ladies in pots they didn't want grabbed. That's what happened. Remember? Not because oh, yeah. of the grandparents getting sent back into the nursing homes with covid and all that and then lying about it and covering it up it was because he was like come here i need a smooch yeah that's right Cuomo. Yeah, people didn't care it. at all about the thousands of people dead because of his policies on nursing homes they cared about him you know like touching a woman on the on the thigh when she didn't want to go i think it was a stomach stomach like it was yeah. uh, even even the stomach honestly yeah stupid argument i mean honestly just just on the sexual harassment stuff andrew cuomo should have i mean uh 
never lost his job. I mean, that's crazy. And yet here we are. There's a new book out this summer, one that offers a unique point of view on how to invest your money in areas that Wall Street and other conventional investment advisors don't pursue. It's written by our friend Dutch Mendenhall, and it's called Money Shackles. By day, Dutch is the co-founder and CEO of Rad Diversified and is currently the president of the Alternative Investment Association. What are these money shackles he writes about? Well, the shackles represent the financial hamstrings that Americans have fought with, like debt that comes from going to college or purchasing a car. Dutch believes looking at debt negatively is the wrong approach. In his book, he'll give you his strategies to use debt to your advantage and tap into lucrative alternative investment vehicles to redefine your American dream. Dutch is on a mission to be at the forefront of the greatest financial change in American history and look beyond Wall Street and see the future of alternative investments. Get ready for the redefined American dream with money shackles. Learn more at therad.com. That's T-H-E-R-A-D dot com. Break free from your money shackles. Visit therad.com. Download and use the new Clay and Buck app. Listen to the program live. Catch up on any part of the show you might have missed. Stay current with what Clay and Buck are saying on TV. Find the Clay and Buck app in your app store and make it part of your day. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years, and in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline. So if you know where Drudge is right now or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
back in. Hour number three, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We're going to be joined by our buddy Alex Berenson now. And the timing on this is not coincidental. There is a New York Times editorial out today encouraging, and I can't believe this is real, everyone six months and older to go out and get the newest COVID shot. Kathy Hochul, the brilliant, esteemed, those are both, uh, satire and, uh, and, 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 and I just want to make it clear, uh, neither brilliant nor esteemed in any aspect of her leadership so far. Here is what she said about the new COVID shot and how it impacts if you had the past COVID shot. Listen. Tell everybody, don't rely on the fact that you had a vaccine in the past. It will not help you this time around. Okay, that's Kathy Hochul. Last shots won't help you this time around. You have to go get this one. We bring in now Alex Berenson. Alex, use of the word vaccine. Let's start here. If I told you, hey, you know that measles, mumps, rubella vaccine that you got, it doesn't work anymore. And I'm not talking about a booster like every 12 years or whatever the heck they do. I'm not even sure exactly what goes on with that. My kids have all gotten those shots. But the one that you just got last year, it's basically worthless. But this new one, it'll take care of you. Uh, when you hear this and you see the editorial in the New York Times saying that everybody six months and older needs to get the new updated COVID shot, your reaction is what? I, I'm furious. Okay, I am furious about this. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote a substack today, uh, you know, on Reported Truths about this and the details of why I'm furious. But let's just let's just focus on two things, okay, quickly. One is we are now way out of step with the rest of the world. And I'm not talking about, you know, some random third world country. I'm talking about Germany or Australia or the UK or Japan. They are not pushing these shots. They're certainly not pushing them on anybody under 18. In Germany, they don't even recommend a primary COVID vaccination for anybody under 18. And most of these countries aren't pushing it on people under 65. In Australia, they go to 75. So... This, I mean, these countries, they're, they're smart countries. They have smart doctors. They just aren't, you know, somehow completely politicized on this process. They're somewhat politicized, but they're not as politicized as we are. So that's A. B is you can look, and this is something that I tweeted out this morning that has gotten a huge response. You can look at the CDC's own data from their, from their slides yesterday, which they, uh, this is not from a month ago or a year ago, it's from yesterday. They said that you would have to give one million COVID shots to save between zero and one. They couldn't even say one. They said zero to one deaths of an adolescent from COVID. One million shots to save zero to one deaths. And by the way, those shots we know are going to cause in the short term 100,000 to 200,000 severe reactions, meaning a high fever, meaning nausea, that stuff, you know, that you get in the immediate aftermath of the shot. So a million shots, you save maybe one person of dying from COVID. You cause 100,000 to 200,000 severe reactions. And they didn't even mention this part, but it's in the data from other places. You cause 50 to 300 cases of, of severe myocarditis, myocarditis that's clinically relevant in people. So, so what are we doing? It is sickening to me. These shots should not be offered to anybody who's a teenager or child, they probably shouldn't be offered, I mean, who's, who's, you know, who's not like on death's door from other conditions. And they probably shouldn't be offered to anybody of that age, period. But they, and they probably shouldn't be offered to anybody under 65, again, who's not really sick with other things. Well, I, I don't know what we're doing. Yeah, Alex, 
who wants this? Like, who's still, is it really just the power of big pharma? I mean, the CDC director, who from, from previous experience with things that she said publicly, I have to think is something of an idiot. She wrote an article today in the New York Times about, like, I'm a mom and I'm the CDC director and, like, I want my kid to get the COVID shot. What is, I really mean this, like, what is wrong with her? Does she have an, an anxiety disorder or is she just getting too much big pharma money from something or what? No, I, I mean, it's, it's like, I, I don't believe she's getting pharma money directly. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of money from Pfizer and Moderna floating around the system. And, and by the way, we're spending, we, I, I believe, and I haven't checked this myself, so, so I, you know, I, reserve, I, I always throw that in when I look myself. I believe we have ordered two, uh, $2 billion worth of pediatric COVID doses for this fall, about 20 million vaccines. Now, I would be surprised if one million are given because the only good thing in all of this is that is that everybody knows, with the exception of the CDC, how stupid this is. And so no one is going to get these. I and, and the reason I say that with certainty is because that's what happened last fall. You know, aside from people over 65, almost nobody got the bivalent booster last fall. And this and I, and I think the uptake is going to be even lower this year. But that doesn't mean we can't we, we need to we, we can let this go. We have to call them out on this. As for Mandy Cohen and what she's doing, I have no idea. The idea that she would get her healthy children, and I assume they're healthy, uh, vaccinated or boosted against uh, this, you know, Omicron variant that's no risk to them. She is, she's endangering them. Even if it's a, a low danger, she's endangering them for no benefit to them. And I don't understand that. We're talking to Alex Berenson. I always think this is important. I've got a 15, a 12, and a 9-year-old. We're about to have a couple of birthdays. My kids are not getting these shots. Okay, so I'm telling all of you listening right now exactly what I'm choosing to do with my own kids. Certainly, I'm not going to get it, right? I haven't ever gotten any of these shots. But... I think for most people out there, whatever you do with your own personal health, if you are fortunate enough to have kids or grandkids that you care for, the choices that you're making for them tells us more sometimes than the choices you make for yourself. So I'm not doing this. Alex, let's take away the Alex Berenson journalist who's looking at all this data. You also have young kids. How old are your kids and what choice are you making personally for them? That you would also say to other people out there with young kids, because I think this is so important. Take it outside sure. of, hey, I'm a, you know, Alex Berenson covering this. I'm, all, you're also Alex Berenson dad. What are you doing with your own family? So, so we, I, we've talked about this before. My kids are now 11, seven, about to be eight and four. Uh, and so you've got four will, kids, 11 and under. Uh, oh, you three, three, 11. Th- okay, three, uh, 11 and under. Yeah. Yes. But, and, and, um, and, you know, and they've all had COVID. Um, they've all, by the way, they, they've all had the standard vaccines. They will get these mRNA shots over my dead body. And my wife feels exactly the same. I mean, we, we are not doing this to them. They don't need it. It's only downside. We have no idea what the long-term impact of mRNA uh, is. But, in fact, there's, as we talked about, I think, a, a week or two ago, there's some data showing that in kids it may actually harm their immunity to other infections. So uh, it, it would be... It, it will never happen as long as I'm alive that my kids will get these shots. Um, we're speaking to Alex Berenson. Subscribe to his Substack, Unreported Truths, and maybe we could put up a cross link to it on clayandbuck.com. So anyone goes to clayandbuck.com, you click on it, and you can see uh, Alex's piece today. And, Alex, I, the, the mantra here continues to be 
are, quote, this is from the New York Times opinion from the CDC director, who's the same woman who, actually, can we play that audio for a second to remind everybody? This was like, uh, oh, yeah. m- months ago. The current CDC director, formerly this, the health and human services director for, I think, North Carolina. Yep. This is what she said about how she made COVID policy. Play it. So I would call, probably the person I called most was the Secretary of Health and Human Services in Massachusetts. She worked for a Republican governor just to, um, but, you know, when she was like, are you, are you going to let them have professional, um, uh, football? And I was like, nope. And she's like, okay, neither are we, neither are we. Uh, so, um, so, uh, you know, it was like conversations like that. So, or, or I'd be like, so when are you going to think about lightening up a mess? They're like, she's like, next Monday. I'm like, okay, next Monday. So just letting everyone know that she was arbitrary and capricious and the whole thing was was a scam. She got promoted, everybody. That person got promoted. She's now CDC director. And, Alex, she writes, quote, we can minimize the virus's damage by using our most effective tool in combating the virus, updated COVID-19 vaccines. What is she even basing this on at this point? Well, so, I mean, that's another thing. And, and you know, there's so much to be angry about today. So, uh so the data that it's there's this idea, and they, you know they've repeated it endlessly. Uh, the, the updated boosters work better than the older vaccines are against the new variants, and that's why we want to get you boosted. Okay, there's a tremendous amount of data, and they and this they know. Okay, they're not complete idiots. When you get a booster, it doesn't matter whether the booster is supposedly updated or the original against the wild type. If you've been previously vaccinated your body has an overwhelming tendency to produce antibodies that are best against the original strain of COVID, of the original variant of COVID. The problem is that variant no longer exists except in a few laboratories. So, so you, are, you are getting boosted, and you're, what your body is mostly doing is fighting a virus that no longer exists. And this is probably one reason the vaccines are so ineffective at this point, okay? And by the way, it doesn't matter whether they give you the original uh, vaccine that you got two years ago or the, or the one that is supposedly new and improved. Your body reacts the same. It's called immune imprinting or original antigenic sin. It's a well-known phenomenon in immunology, and they know it. They are just lying about this. It is an excuse to try to get people to take more vaccine, and I don't know why they're doing it, Okay. They could have done what the rest of the world did, which is essentially walk away from the mRNAs and walk away from COVID vaccines, except for elderly people, you know, who who are at higher risk from COVID and who, frankly, have a lower, uh, you know, if if something goes wrong, uh, their life expectancy is shorter anyway. Okay, so they have they have put more potential benefit and it's a less catastrophic risk if we're wrong about the long term effects here. But we didn't do that in the United States. For some reason, the American public health authorities and the Biden administration are all in on this, despite the fact that their own data shows it's useless. And I do not understand it. As bad as the decisions are on the COVID shot, I'm curious, Alex, what you think. I'm sure you saw the Montgomery County public schools forcing kids to wear uh, masks again in 95s in kindergarten. Now they're also doing it in another first-grade classroom in a different school in Montgomery County that is just north of Washington, D.C. As as someone who has covered this now, for we're going into the fourth winter uh, of COVID, are you astounded that this is still all going on, masking, getting the shots, 
And what does it say that there are no consequences for so many people being so profoundly wrong about so much of this for the last four years? You, you know, that's a great question. I, I am kind of astounded. And, you know, I, I've been writing I've been writing unreported truths for, you know, more than two years. Uh, some of my subscribers are now, a lot of them are now headed into the third year. Um, I've been tweeting about this to, you know, pretty large audience for three and a half years. I kind of want to get back to my life. You know, I was a, I, I wrote a bunch of spy novels. I've covered other things, but I can't because because this is not going away. And what happened with the CDC yesterday is just the most recent, you know, example of this. They they are continuing this, and and the masking, uh, you know, it is it is it is crazy. Masks are useless by any and every definition. And there's a video on Twitter that I can't kind of can't stop watching. Um, that a guy named Martin Kulderf put up of a uh, of a toddler, you know, like a two-year-old, c- pulling his mask down, and this teacher keeps putting it on harder and harder. And, the, you know, the child obviously does not like it and keeps taking it off. And I sort of feel like, to some extent, that's we are the toddler, and the public health authorities are that teacher. They will not stop, and I don't know how we get them to stop. And so, you know, I'm trying to build a record, a historical record about how, you know, useless the vaccines now are. I'm trying to write about this, even though, to some extent, I wish I could move forward, because we just cannot stop until until there is some kind of reckoning. Is it is it fair, um, Alex, in your mind, uh, to to point out that Anthony Fauci, still going on TV, could do a lot to finally stop some of this madness? And, I mean, I, I've made the case that uh, we've now crossed over into he's a moral monster. Like, he knows that this is crap, but he just won't stop. Um, yeah, I mean, he would have to repudiate, uh, you know, a lot. Um, look, there, I, there is some precedent for that with him, right? In the late 80s, you know, the, the, the AIDS activists got to him and convinced him that, you know, he, he, his policies were not working and were leading to unnecessary death and despair. And he, you know, he helped, the, he, he changed his mind and he sort of became a hero to, the, to a lot of those guys. So, you know, is there is there some parent of a toddler who, you know, who can convince Fauci, like, you know, you should speak out here? I, I doubt it. But but maybe, you know, is there some parent of a of a of a young person who died from myocarditis after an mRNA shot that can get him to, you know, to to look at his policies? Maybe. But he doesn't seem to be an, in, in that place. I've never spoken to Anthony Fauci. OK, I've only I've only seen what we all see. But he seems extremely self-satisfied. And so I don't know how he changes his mind. When you speak to this, this is the last question because I know you, you we appreciate the time. I'm sure you saw Aaron Rodgers because I know you're a sports fan, tear his Achilles tendon. Aaron Rodgers has been one of the most outspoken people about the lack of necessity for COVID shots. Doesn't it perfectly speak to the world in which we're in that many people reacted with glee to Aaron Rodgers tearing his Achilles tendon because he didn't? acquiesce and get the COVID shot? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think that, you know, the backdrop on that is, you know, Novak Djokovic wins, uh, yeah. you know, it becomes the the, the absolute go. And you saw the Moderna shot of the day, which we played, which was too perfect. Yeah, too perfect. And so because, you know, because he's a professional athlete who, you know, has done really well after rejecting the shots, the fact that this happened to Aaron Rodgers, although, of course, you know, it's completely unrelated in any to COVID in any way, shape, or form. Um, 
uh, you know, people people want to hit back. I mean, that that's where we are. And and uh, you know, this is another terrible thing about where we are in terms of our politics and public health. Is that you know, the the the, the, the there's a lot of you know what the um, the the Herman Cain awards are. I'm sure where people talk negatively about somebody who was unvaccinated and died from COVID. And then meanwhile, people, you know, who are not vaccinated, sometimes, look, I, I have to resist the temptation too when you see somebody who might have died, uh, you know, of a vaccine-related injury and spoke out against um, against those of us who chose not to be vaccinated. You, you, we can't jump on them. It's a human tragedy, okay? It's a human tragedy on either side. People are dying here. So, you know, people died of COVID. People have died of mRNA vaccine side effects. Our goal should be to try to stop all of it. And, but but the way to do that is not to pretend that the vaccines work when they don't. Unreported Truths on Substack. Subscribe to Alex Berenson. Alex, appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Like everything else, the cost of ammunition has gone up big time in the past year. If you're a gun owner and you occasionally get to the range, you've experienced those higher price tags. Makes it even more expensive to train and keep your skills sharp. There's an economical and convenient solution. It's a firearm training device called the Mantis X. It's a no-ammo, all-electronic way to improve your shooting accuracy. The Mantis X device attaches to your firearm like a weapon light. You connect that to your smartphone with the Mantis X app. Your Mantis X gives you data-driven, real-time feedback on your technique, guides you through drills and courses, and 94% of Mantis X users improve significantly within 20 minutes of using the Mantis X for the first time. It's a must-have for every gun owner. Start improving your shooting accuracy today. Go to MantisX.com. That's M-A-N-T-I-S-X.com. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the front lines of truth. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.